Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Today we're going to discuss outcome-driven roadmaps. The approach that we're taking with this this time is that this is the way to go and how uh, true product-led organizations kind of deliver great outcomes, pun intended, I guess, or the, <laughs> for the business and, and for the customer. So yeah, we're taking a stance there that, that that's the direction now, why and what kind of traps do other companies get into and then what are the benefits? There's always pros and cons to each approach. You know, Lou, we've, we talked a little bit about this earlier. The other approach being, you know, you have your feature-led type of roadmaps versus your outcome roadmaps. And so curious, like a part of all of the companies that you've been a part of in, in product, kind of what percentage of your experience has been outcome driven versus feature driven? I'd say it's about 50-50. And, and I would say a lot of organizations end up making the ideal would, in our opinion, I think Kevin and I both share this, is to make a change from being in a feature driven roadmap scenario to an outcome driven scenario. And what I tend to see is that in earlier stage businesses, we're really focused on delivering a certain feature within a specified window of time for one reason or the other. It could be uh, something a client asked for. And then the businesses that get to later stage tend to diverse themselves away from that. And they start thinking about things in terms of what outcome did we achieve with all of these features and how can we track those and get a little bit away from just the feature world. So I'm, I don't know, Kevin, what's your what's your feeling? To, to answer the first question, I guess the percentage allocation, I think it's a little bit, I would say it's it's pretty close to similar, like that 50-50, I think is probably where I, I lie as well. To your point, I think you get to a point of scale where the one individual feature that the whole company is dependent on, right? Like that's not yeah. scalable when you have like 20 teams, right? It's like, that's not even, it doesn't make a blip as much on the radar or it takes a larger splash to to actually make some movement in the, in the organization. And then that's where, as you start to scale in that way, the shift to outcomes is so crucial because it then helps you to continue to scale in that fashion, I think, because... You can tell that story a little bit better, and then you also are focused on um, alignment, which um, that outcome-driven roadmap really lends itself to that, as opposed to the feature-driven roadmap, which is more a little bit around um, big bets that we want to take as an organization. It doesn't really allow you to be as flexible as you learn, and so it removes a lot of the product process that product managers go through during the execution phase or the discovery phase, right? Like that essentially the the learning is not shared and you can't scale that alignment because it's maybe driven by a visionary CEO or it's driven by uh, a customer that you're building for to establish, you know, product market fit or just to stay afloat. So I think the outcome driven roadmap leads itself more for scalability and alignment and, and, um, so that's that's kind of what I've seen, but yeah, and and autonomy in there too, right? Like you know, if you can if you can have a, a product, like I think almost every PM that I speak to really enjoys it when the business says, "Hey, let's deliver this outcome, and I need you to go figure out a roadmap to how to make that happen," right? Like I need you to go figure out the features or the different things you're going to do, and and I think that really lends itself to a good deal of flexibility. Like one really good example that I could think of is that we had an outcome that we wanted to reduce the number of care tickets in a, in a particular company, right? Like that was the goal. That's what we wanted to do. 
we were able to hand that off to a PM and say, you know, who was on my team at the time and say, hey, your goal, you know, when we go into next year and we're thinking about quality is to reduce the number of care tickets. How you accomplish that is totally up to you and your team. You build whatever you like. It just allows for so much creativity and flexibility. But when I think people talk about feature-driven roadmaps, it's like the first question they ask is, what feature are we building? Like what new thing are we building? Or like what improvement are we making? And they're so fixate, people can get so fixated on those items when it's like, well, what if that feature didn't actually accomplish the goal? You need to be able to pivot and test. There's so many ways that you're removing a function of a product manager when you lead in that way that it sometimes lends itself to just poor results at the end of the day, right? And you get measured more on the output of your team. You'll start to celebrate how many product releases that you've had, right? Versus like, no, the product team has, you know, had this impact or it's been able to reduce activation rate by 5% or it's uh, been able to contribute to the bottom line in this way. When you start to celebrate those outputs, I think just that's a that's a good checkpoint to say, are we actually positioned in the right way as a product organization to do the good work? And I think just the execution of it, right? It's like, if you just want us to execute solutions, you're removing so many things away from product managers. Now, if you're also handing them problems and solutions, that's another thing, but it's still very limiting, right? And ideally, as a product leader or you know, as, a, as an innovator in the product space, you'd want that space in that direction to say, you know, we want to kind of move in this area, right? And we, I love that autonomy of like, you know, our direction is, you know, profitability. You know that everyone, we want to be profitable. Yes, we know. Okay. So we want to go explore this. What do we then do? And then, and that gives you that autonomy and that account, you know, that, that way to explore, identify opportunities, start to build solutions and then, you know, execute uh, for the customers in that segment. So yeah, the, it lends itself to more of that type of thinking. Um, and then I think it's prohibitive in the big rocks. I'd say it's also part of strategic thinking. There's two ways to think about strategy. And when I'm looking at like long-term strategy, you can't really forecast every feature you need, right? You need to think about things almost thematically like you can't say I'm going to come up with a 24 road month roadmap of features. That's just ridiculous, right? Some people believe that that's what you need to do, but when I'm thinking about long-term strategy, I'm thinking about actually how I ladder those, um, like what I'll call those objectives, those outcomes into the strategy. So I would say, like you know, maybe like where we're at today with a business, like our first goal might be okay, we need to improve the employee experience of our product. And in our case, that's, that would be the experience of the employees who use our product. And it's like, okay, so now once we've done that, then we can go and look at, okay, how can we get at, how can we improve our market, our market footing? How can we improve the content delivery mechanisms, right? Like we can ask them in terms of like questions where the outcome goal is really the thing that you want in your strategy. You don't necessarily need what 10 features do it. You need the this outcome, then the next outcome, then the next outcome. And if we've achieved all these outcomes, it's going to set us up well for this next one. And that's you know, a key component that I always say differentiates it. In your organization now, Lou, does the company 
or the leadership team have like this, the OKRs for the year? Like, do they, do they plan strategically in that way? We do, we do OKRs. And I think as an org, we, uh, I think now the org is kind of talking about making OKRs a little bit more than just, I think right now they're really focused in on product, but really making more of an organizational wide piece. But I would say like, this is one of those challenges that our business is like starting to grow to the level of okay, how many teams do we have? We've got seven, eight product managers on the team now. We've got some designers, you know, we've got different engineering squads, front end, back end, all of our different areas. And this is an area where you're starting to get to that level of, you can't keep track of everybody's features. When you start kind of getting to that level, you need to start thinking about how can I keep track of everybody's outcomes and kind of get ourselves away from the feature race. I think that's the change that we're going to need to make you know, that we're starting to make what we're going to need to make. Yeah. And that, and then, so when you're saying that it's more for product, is it just the product org that, that has the OKRs and not the rest of the organization? Our other teams have results or metrics that they need to meet, but they're not tracked in the same OKR structure that we, how does the company or the CEO or the executive team kind of provide direction? Is it like, here are the top four things we need to do this year? Like, do they provide that level of direction? Yeah, I think at the moment, and that's in conjunction with product and with the other departments. So we are, we have a focus right now on product quality. And that's something that we've all embraced as our key focus that we have for the next three to six months. And then um, at the moment, right now, we're also kind of doing some strategic planning on what looks like six to 12 months, 12 to 24. And that's where I think we're going to be able to really roll in a really true OKR based objective framework. How about your side? We'd have that yearly annual OKR focused. And so it's like five, four or five OKRs for the year of like, here's some clear strategic directions that the company wants to move towards. And that is, you know, in collaboration with the executive team determining that, but uh, we do have a CPO who is, you know, driving a lot of that. And so they are kind of working, what is our, you know, top strategic objectives for the organization, which can be worded in a variety of different ways with a differing level of ambiguity, but it all has that kind of key results that measure up to it. So that kind of provides us a little bit of a direction. And then the individual teams then build OKRs that ladder up into those larger strategic. I really found that that's helpful because if you do that at the um, C-suite level and the organizational level, all the whole company is kind of swimming the same tune, right? They all kind of can contribute back to that direction. So there, there's less friction in, interdepartmentally because there's more alignment to the goals that they're, they're striving towards which is nice. And then it becomes more of like how that you get toward those goals and that's the individual teams and their objectives. And so that's kind of how it works in our organization today. What challenges do you think organizations face breaking from the feature-led to the outcome-led objective? What challenges? Yeah, feature... Well, I think it's a little... There's pros and cons to each approach. For, for feature-led, you kind of know exactly what you're building and roughly... You know, you're never going to know predict the future 100%, but you're going to know roughly like what you're building and when. In the outcome-driven approach, you don't sometimes know what you're building initially, right? There's a little bit more exploration and experimentation, which can provide some... It can be uncomfortable, right? <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it, that, that uh, oh, we don't know, and we're going to give the team some 
rope to go figure it out. It's like this big what if, right? Or this big trust that you have to have in your organization. And so I think if you've executed well in the feature-led strategy and you're scaling and it's time, then you've already kind of proven your ability to execute as a product organization, which is good. And so you already have some momentum in that respect. Now shifting to the outcomes, then it's like, well, we're going to assume that we are going to go do X, Y, and Z, but we're going to learn. And if it doesn't drive our normal objective, we're going to pivot because what matters is getting the objective done or achieving the outcome. Right. And and that's a, just a little bit of a different mindset to have, I think. But so I think that unpredictable nature of that future tends to be more unpredictable with the outcome driven roadmap. But I think that's a good thing because no matter what, you're trying to achieve the outcome. And so the idea is it shouldn't be predictable. You should explore it. You should come across innovation as you go you know, through the practice and then at the end of the day, still drive the result. You have to be comfortable taking your hands off the reins a little bit. What's interesting is that an out, like I kind of feel like the outcome roadmap does lead to the feature roadmap. It's just that it does so in a little bit of a, I would say maybe a little more overhead way. When you come up with an outcome, right? You're not just saying, let's build this feature, right? You're actually saying, hey, p- hey, product manager, go take some time to explore what it's going to take to achieve this outcome, right? When you hand somebody just a set of features or you come up with a feature lift, you're actually just removing that from their workflow. And as a result, when you move, remove that from their workflow, I, in my opinion, you're kind of breeding lazy PMs because you're just saying like, go be a feature factory and it's like, project management, right? It is project management at that point. It's like, maybe you tweak the UX a little bit, you know, like, but, but ultimately a good PM. And if we do this well ahead of time, right? I think that's the other part that the business has to recognize is you set objectives. Like you say next quarter, our objective is going to be, and then during the quarter where you're at, you start researching and planning and thinking about that quarter and coming up with that list of ideas. And so by the time that quarter starts, you've already been aligned. Your design work is ready. And you do know what features you're at least going to start with and what directions you might pivot. But I think that's I think that's the discipline that it takes is that to be in an outcome-driven roadmap, it takes a lot more discipline and it takes a lot more effort. And preparation, yeah. Yes. I think so. I mean, you could work the other way around or, you know, uh, feature-led first to then get to that outcome of like, here's your list of features. And then as a PM, you can put that product management hat on to say, well, what outcomes are we intending to drive with these features? And then, you know, okay, now here's our objective and kind of work backwards a little bit. Um, we, we started doing this exercise during our planning process that I wanted to share that might help others that are going through this scenario do so in a way that, that can be effective. If you're familiar with the crazy eights exercise, a design exercise, it's a minute per sticky and you kind of give a, a folks a prompt and then they can kind of operate and then we cluster and, and vote. We took a variation of that exercise and we said, what was the most important thing we can do within the context of our team? Let's say it's, it's the um, team that is building for advertisers, right? What is the most important thing we can do for advertisers this quarter with the guise of that company level strategy? And so our goal here is to drive whatever X, Y, and Z. We service the advertisers. 
what is the most important thing? And then you get a diverse group of stakeholders to contribute in that room. And a lot of folks are going to be solution oriented. But as they started to share, this was interesting. They would say, well, we want to integrate with this third party, whatever. Then someone's like, who has something similar, right? And so there's nuances to that solution. And then now you have a cluster that you can extract an outcome from in the room in front of them. And so they can actually clarify as you are writing that outcome down in front of their face. And so it's like, well, okay, it looks like with this cluster, we're really trying to drive more media spend um, with data partners, right? Whatever it is, right? Like, and, and then you can might, you might get clarification from stakeholders to say, no, actually it's not that it's, uh, we have enough spend, but we want to, um, you know, keep that spend. Oh, okay. So it's retention. Okay. So now, you know, in the room, you're starting to massage that outcome language, and then, you know, you set that as a goal for the team and now you've already seeded those ideas. So then you can kind of take another pass at the exercise to say, here is our top voted on clusters or outcomes. Here were some of ideas. But if we really think about what done looks like here and, the, and what uh, success looks like, what other ideas do we have to go and explore to solve for this goal? So now you shifted that mindset of that whole team involved in that planning by, by kind of holding their hand throughout that process, if that makes sense. No, I think that does. I mean, that's that's a really good way. And it's kind of good for anybody listening to, right? The more times you go through this, the more patterns you'll see in this process and kind of you'll figure out your own path in there. I think what Kevin highlighted out is a really good way to get a good entry start into it, right? Because every situation is going to be unique, but it's a really good way to get started. We'll, we'll see how it goes this way around, but then the intention is great. Now we'll leave this round of planning with a list of ideas aligned to an objective and clear measures of success that sets us up really well for the next quarter. The accountability piece is what's next, right? Is like, do we hold ourselves accountable by the results of these projects and the goals, which was the objective and key results, or by the delivery of the solution ideas that were generated in that room? And that's where it's like, how do you keep Keep yourself accountable throughout this process to then make sure that you keep your eyes on the ball and you always uh, are, are making decisions to what matters. For you, Lou, do you have those accountability measures within the organization? Like, is it a monthly check-in? Is it weekly product check-in? Like, is there something that you all talk about the progress you're making towards the things that you're trying to execute against? Ooh, yes-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I would say like we, so we do a lot of stuff around company wide, I'd call sprint planning at the moment. And we have kind of some release milestones and we kind of really, our, our company takes a good level of effort at planning and releasing just due to the way that we manage that right now. So as a result, everything kind of gets tracked. A lot of things get tracked on that level. And like, because we are in kind of feature delivery mode, we're really looking more at like, we have this item on the roadmap. Did it get shipped? Yes or no. And so I think we're doing a lot of that. And for the foreseeable, I think for the this period of time where the business is, we're really putting a large amount of effort on quality. And with quality, there's a lot of initiatives and epics that we've come up with that are really helping us do it. So it's kind of binary. It's like, did we deliver it or did we not? You know, outcome wise, I think if we were to shift to a more outcome focus, we would probably be tracking a little bit more. We, we'd probably be tracking a little bit more on the like, how many incidents or bugs or things are getting reported. But even then, I think we're, we're still a little bit early in that transition to a fully outcome driven space to where we could track it on outcome on outcome based metrics, which I guess is another point we should touch on really quickly, too, is that 
in order for you to deliver outcomes, it also means that you have to have very good metrics and very efficient ways of tracking that you achieved what you said you're going to achieve. That actually, I think, is one of those limitations that prevents a lot of businesses from coming in this direction because you have to know that you're tracking the right metrics and that the way you're tracking it is reliable. If you don't have that, it's actually very hard to do. That's such a great point. That level of granularity too of the the data is is important. You know, whatever you have, right? Being able to to tell that story is helpful. You we get I think in Ibotta we maybe over indexed and like got really analytical of like getting to the minutiae of like the very specific thing that was going to drive this this uh, this feature and but we actually didn't hold ourselves accountable as much to that. <laughs> so we did all this upfront analysis to maybe plan better, but we actually didn't know if it had those intended impacts as much. I, I invested in one feature that we didn't do a lot of due diligence in planning or, or we assumed that it would have this impact, right? We did, we did a lot of this analysis up front. We projected this impact two quarters down the line and actually had like a 5x impact than what our plan was. But we didn't really like even celebrate that it had a 5x impact towards what we planned. And so it was like, we're not even reflecting back on our original assumptions to see if it actually had the desired outcome or not. So <laughs> there's a lot to this topic. I feel like we always kind of circle this a lot and, and kind of uh, touch on some nuances. I think we had a different angle here, which was interesting today. In terms of homework, what would you give to our audience this week um, based on our conversation? I'd say before we start talking about objectives, let's talk about metrics. I would encourage people to think about, okay, if we're going to do an objective-based roadmap, what metrics are we going to move? And then downstream of that, do a sensitivity analysis. Can we actually move those metrics? Can we actually do something that will produce that outcome? And if if it's correct, then you're probably in a good space to actually start an outcome roadmap. Otherwise, feature driven might actually be the best for you. My homework would be kind of try one of these brainstorming um, sessions with your stakeholder group as well and just kind of work yourself backwards a little bit. That exercise really lends itself for good team collaboration and alignment. And so try something out like that. Again, look up crazy eights as an exercise is always a great one, but there's so many others out there that are really interesting and um, um, can help with this. So yeah, go explore those things. Well, great. Um, It looks like we finished up our coffee here. So Go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.